Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the 5-Minute Major. Double's here. I am running solo today from the WildExtra.com Control Center. And I'm joined by a very special guest, veteran of 310 National Hockey League games over nine seasons with the New York Rangers, Chicago Blackhawks, and Pittsburgh Penguins. Pound for pound, one of the toughest guys to ever lace them up, Ryan Vandenbush. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, you grew up in Delhi, Ontario. Uh, did you have a favorite NHL player or team uh, as you were growing up? Toronto Maple Leafs, Wendell Clark. He was my favorite. He could uh, do it all. He could skate, shoot, drop the gloves if need be. So he was he was a great uh, role model for me to to uh, grow up watching. And I was actually fortunate enough to play with him. I went to training camp with him in Toronto because I ended up being drafted by Toronto. And then um, went to training camp and then... Uh, uh, who was our GM in 93-94, Cliff Fletcher, thought I was too small to be a tough guy in the NHL. So then I, I went on uh, to the Rangers, and then ultimately it was Chicago and Pittsburgh. But uh, I got to play with Wendell in uh, Chicago, so that was neat. I know he did a lot of damage against the uh, Minnesota North Stars. I, I know that. He tormented the Stars for many years. Um, had to be exciting. Uh, you get drafted in 1992. Uh did you have any inkling that the Maple Leafs had interest in you, or was it super exciting for you to get drafted by your hometown club? Well, yeah, I, I live like an hour and a half southwest of Toronto on the North Shore of Lake Erie, so um, you know that's just what we watched all the time around here. My stepfather had season tickets uh, up in the nosebleeds through his business, and we'd go watch maybe a game a year or so, and. Um, but uh, no, I, as far as an inkling, um, Toronto did actually come down uh, to my, the little town of Delhi where I grew up when I was right before the draft. It was the summer of 92, about a month before the draft, and said, if I'm around by the seventh round, they're going to pick me up. So um, I happened to be around by the seventh round, and I was, and I was picked up uh, in, in the eighth round. So it was great. It was a dream come true. Good deal. Uh, so you signed with the New York Rangers in the summer of 1995. Uh, made your NHL debut in 1996. Any any fond memories stick out from you from that experience? Some pretty pretty big names on that team at that time. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I not only got drafted by you know my favorite team as I was growing up, but um, I got to play with my uh, another one of my idols. And I said Wendell Clark was one of my uh, favorite players, but ultimately uh, you know Wayne Gretzky was definitely up there. Seeing he's from Brantford, which is only an hour north of us or a half hour north of us. Um, it was it was quite thrilling to be able to walk into the room and have a guy like Wayne Gretzky welcome me to the team and shake my hand and ask me how Delhi was doing. Not a lot of uh, teammates I played with ever heard of the, the uh, town that I, I grew up in. Um, and when when the best hockey player in the world mentions that, it's, it's kind of thrilling. Wow, that's... Uh, hey, I don't know how you'd ever get used to something like that. That's uh, That's really cool. 
Yeah, uh, I was I was very fortunate to play with uh, guys like him and Messier and and uh, Brian Leach, and then in Chicago with Dougie Gilmore and, and Wendell Clark was there for a little bit, and and um, you know, Bob Probert was my roommate for four years, and then it was it was really neat to uh, also play in Pittsburgh. Uh, Lemieux last year in the league was was my was also my last year in the league in 2006, and that happened to be uh, Crosby's rookie year as well. So yeah, I got to play with some neat players. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, okay, so uh, preseason, fast forward a little bit here, preseason 1997, uh, you're in the lineup with the Rangers against uh, Maple Leafs. Was that in Maple Leafs Gardens? Yes, it was. Okay, you square off in one of the uh, one of the all-time, one of the most well-known Sorry, not Maple Leafs, yeah, that is Madison Square Gardens. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, my fault. Yeah. Uh, you square off in uh, one of the most famous fights in hockey fighting lore. Uh, you square off with Nick Kiprios. Is that, Ryan, was that a situation where a younger guy like yourself, you're trying to make your name, and a guy like Kiprios is trying to prove that he's still got it? Well, exactly. I, now that I'm all done, it's, that's exactly how it went. You know, I, I came in as a rookie and you know, I had I had nothing to lose, really. I just had something to prove. So, um, you know, I I went into that uh, game with it was my first exhibition, second exhibition game, and um, you know, I I wasn't. They didn't bring me up there to to score goals, so I had to show what I could do. And usually, that's when what the exhibition games are for. And I went to the lineup before the game, and my target was actually going to be Domi, but he wasn't playing that game, and uh, Nick Kiprios was the next. One that I figured I could show my stuff, so yeah, the, the game started, and I, I'm a young guy trying to prove myself. And, and Nick was a, you know, he was a guy that's been around for a long time, and he's just trying to keep his job. So, unfortunately, I I did tag him on a on the jaw with a with a, a decent one, but it, it could have easily been me. I've been hit like that before too, and I can tell you, it doesn't feel very good. So, um, but I'm glad everyone's uh, okay now, and, and everything's great. So, and. In a situation like that, Ryan, uh, just kind of leading up to that where you say, you know, you're the younger guy and, and Nick is the veteran, in a roundabout kind of way, you know, somebody that is such an adversary for you, in a way, are you like a business partner with somebody like that? <laughs> just from the sense that you're each trying to help each other's careers, in mm-hmm. a way? Well, yeah, I, you know, some people say I helped him, I helped his career by putting him into uh, the TV, but uh, no. Um we, we were, uh, I wouldn't call it business partners, that's for sure. We're, we're both trying to, to stay in the league and, and survive. It's a tough league to stay in. It's very competitive. And and uh, you don't know how long you're going to be able to play in the league for, obviously, with, you know, injuries and and uh, just, you know, not being able to keep up. So um, we have, it, it's funny because, you know, the guys that are playing hockey, they're, you know, your teammates with the guy, but yet you're competing against the same guy too, right? So, yeah, your your coworkers, but uh, you have this some sort of camaraderie where we all have different personalities, but we all have one goal in common, and that's you know to win the Stanley Cup and obviously play hockey first and foremost. So um, you know you, you 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 work with each other, you learn to work as a team, and um, uh, the more of a team player you are, uh, the more of an opportunity you have to, to stick around as well. So. Um, the guys that are selfish, that uh, wish bad on others, um, don't stick around too long because, uh, you know, the brass, he's through that kind of stuff. 
can't imagine any better uh, team players in all of sports than uh, than the role of the hockey enforcer. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Okay, so tor- towards the end of the 1998 season, you get traded to Chicago. Uh, one of the great jerseys and uniforms and logos in all of sports. Uh, and a lot of tough customers on that team. Uh, Jim Cummins, Reed Simpson. Uh, did you play with Brad Brown? That's a name for oh, yeah. Wild, yep. Yep. to uh, Minnesota Wild fans. Yep. Uh, and, of course, uh, one of the all-timers, Bob Probert. Uh, did, you forge, uh, did you forge much of a relationship with, with Probert? Yeah, we ended up being pretty good friends. Like I said earlier, we were uh, ended up being roommates for about four years of the seven years I was in Chicago. And um, yeah, no, we uh, we always kept in touch. And um, yeah, so like I say, he's just he's a great great guy to be around. He's a big teddy bear. I mean, he did a great job on the ice. But you know, he he's one of those guys that do anything for you. He'd get the shirt off off of his back for anybody that needed it. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I was a I was also a pallbearer at his funeral, and um, but uh, yeah, no, he was a great man. Now, the the two things that I remember most about what drew me in as a hockey fan as a young kid, um, I had a I had a older brother and an older sister that were hockey fans, and they would always have the game of the week on in our house, and when I first started watching the games, I couldn't wait for the between period for the intermission break uh, for Peter Puck to come on. I always loved that cartoon. And the other thing that really drew me in was the fights. And as I've learned more and more about the pressures that the enforcers face and the traumas that their bodies have to absorb, I, I really i am having a hard time uh, and I've kind of come full circle the other way. I, I don't get excited when I see the gloves drop anymore um, just because of thinking of what those guys are going through. Um, in the role that you played as an enforcer, did you keep tabs on your schedule very closely? Uh, were you at all mindful of uh, you know who was on your schedule and who you might be going up against? Oh, of course. It was my role. You know, I, I had to know everyone in the league, and I, I studied a lot of video as well. Um, you know, it's just what you have to do to, to stay on top of your game. It's Like I said, it's highly competitive, and um, you don't want to be on the receiving end of, of a, a nice right or left hook, that's for sure. But unfortunately, the, the way it is, you, nobody in the league has ever won every single fight in, the, in, a, in a game, and, and you just know going, you know, into some games that uh, – now could be your time, and and uh, you know a lot of the fear is a fear of the unknown, and, and that's the chemistry is not as bad as what you know you're you're, you're thinking that it could be. So um, for myself, you know, I, I I always had a mindset where um, just go out there and play hockey and play hard, and, and whatever happens happens. And you know, if I end up fighting uh, one of the team's tough guys, usually nine times out of ten guys who I was doing battle with were were a lot bigger than me. And uh, like I said, my mindset was in a sense that you know if I if I fought a guy bigger than me and I lost, well, uh, I should lose anyways because I'm smaller. And, and and if I end up tying the, the big guy, then uh, then I consider myself a, a win because I was I was smaller. And if I end up losing, well, hey, I was supposed to lose anyways because I was smaller. So 
I didn't really put much pressure on myself. Um, I went into every game, like one, one game, one shift at a time, and just try and do my best, and, and then it always worked out in the end. There's got to be quite a bit of anxiety that goes with that, though, when, you know, when maybe tomorrow you're set to face Anaheim and Stu Grimson, or uh, maybe next week uh, the Leafs and Ty Domi are, are looming out there. Uh, how how do you deal with with that and kind of keeping keeping that fear and anxiety in check? Well, just like what I said, I just you know you you can't think of uh, you you can't fear the unknown because it's just unknown. You just got to go out there and do your best. And you know, first and foremost, you you, you play hockey and, and you finish. You know, my role is being aggressive, a good forecheck, and finishing my checks. And you know, if need be, I, I'll drop the gloves. But I, I put no pressure on myself, win, lose, or draw. I just went out there and did my best and, and worked hard and tried to be a good teammate. But some people, I, I will say, like, uh, you know, I had sat beside some people uh, in the dressing room where, you know, that's I, I felt their anxiety because I, I, they were talking about it all the time and they are they're talking about, you know, losing and I just think, you know, like that's why I say uh, the mindset is so important not to, to focus on, what, you know, what could happen. Just focus on what you want to happen, and usually you can make it happen. And uh, the whole topic of the, the enforcers and, and the things that they have to deal with, that hits close to home for me, uh, just being a, was a big Derek Bugard fan um, when he arrived with the Minnesota Wild. And sadly, uh, his life ended way too soon, um, and really sounded like he was dealing with a lot of a lot of issues um, towards the towards the later years of his life. Um, it's been reported that Derek was receiving prescription painkillers from team doctors for as many as seven NHL teams, and that to me that is. Uns- just absolutely unspeakable. Um, and it seems like the NHL, and I don't know if it's necessarily the NHL, but at least the teams in particular need to do a significantly better job of protecting their own. I know you guys are grown men and you make your own choices, but it just seems like the the league should do a better job of protecting its assets while they're playing and maybe even more so um, after their playing career is done. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, they don't get two shits after you're done playing and they're, they're done paying you, right? So they want to get what they can out of you. And, and you know, they're just, you know, they're businessmen, right? They're, they're trying to get the most they can out of their product. And unfortunately, there comes uh, with a lot of injuries when you play any professional sport. And, and hockey's, you know, more of a physical one than some others. But, um, and you know, hey, marijuana is not legal, so uh, which they should make it legal, and maybe stop giving out all the Percocets. But the Percocets, you know, they they have their purpose when used medically, and um, I think that they are just given out a little too easy. Um, the reason why I can say that because I've experienced it, and um, and they do help with some of the pain. But unfortunately, if you have an addictive personality, um, they can, they can get you too. So. You just got to be aware and and um, just try and do the right thing and and use it as medicine. But uh, you know the team's got no control on, on whether a person's an addict or not, and and a lot of times they don't even know half the time. So 
Um, they just, uh, I think it starts with education and just educating not only the, the players, but the owners. A lot of them don't know the side effects of, of these types of uh, opiates and um, they need to be educated on it and, and the long-term effects. So like I said, uh, if they would just maybe legalize marijuana and, 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 and do a better job monitoring the, the Percocets, um, it, the league would probably be better to be quite honest. And I don't really know, I mean, I don't know what the league could possibly expect out of a guy when, you know, if you have a, you have a seven o'clock game one night and you, know, you take your afternoon nap and get up and start to get, start to get your mindset on that night's game finish that game, you fly out, you get a game the next night in another city, and, uh, you know, Bob Probert or Derek Bugard is out there lining up across from you. It, you know, how do you get adequate rest, and how do you how do you get your, your body right uh, to perform at the, at the top level that you need to, you know, without using prescriptions? Well, there's there's lots of people that do it, and like it, it's just a mindset that, that that you take in before every you know every day you wake up. I mean, yeah, there's there's some games where I just know that I'm going to be dropping a gloves with a guy, and and it does make for a uh, a lot of anxiousness uh, within yourself pr- prior to the, the the dropping of the puck. But uh, you just you know it's one of those things that you just got to battle through and, and um, focus on the, on the positives. And, and um, you know, I, I was a big visualizer. I, I visualized what um, I'd play over and over in, head with, in my head what, what I see myself doing, you know, playing hockey and if I had to drop the gloves. Um, I think that kept me sane. And then always, you know, nine times out of ten, you know, the, the fear that you – like I said, the fear of the unknown is really not that bad after uh, in the aftermath. So, yeah. all right, and it seems like the fighting numbers and fighting majors are they seem to be going down all the time. And I think right now it's at about one fight per three games. Um, do you ever see it completely out of the game? I don't think it'll be completely out of the game, and nor do I think it should be completely out of the game. Um, you know, enforcers have their role, and the analogy that I that I give sometimes is, you know, you're, you're speeding, you're doing 140 down, and driving erratically down a, down a road, and and uh, you see a, a police cruiser on the side of the, on the road. Well, it's gonna make it slow down a little bit because you don't want to get a ticket, right? There's a consequence for for doing something really stupid, and there's a consequence for doing something really stupid on the ice. So. I think it's you know there's a purpose for the enforcer in the game, but you know stage fights and just doing it to do it doesn't make any sense. There's got to be a real purpose. So uh, you're not going to see any more one-dimensional hockey players, and there hasn't really been for the last 10, 15, 20 years. But um, you know the guys have got to be more of a complete player. But you know if need be, they can drop the gloves as well. Okay, and I think uh, I think you've probably hit on a lot of the, the key elements with the with the education and. It, it, trying to inform guys, you know, kind of the best methods of taking care of themselves. Now, another question that I have for you is part of that entails with something that I don't think is very realistic, and that's I think players have to be 
to be completely healthy in this role, they need to be kind of honest with themselves as far as when they can play and when they shouldn't be in the lineup. But at the same time, I mean, any player has to be in the lineup to add value. So it just seems like a role where realistically players are not encouraged to be very forthcoming about how they may be feeling on a particular day. Um, I think that's – is that an issue where guys are doing anything they possibly can to stay in the lineup and maybe especially uh, doing that during times that they absolutely should be given a rest? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just going from my personal experience. You know, I, I played in almost 10 years in the NHL, 14 years pro. I played 310 games. I was on the roster for about over 600. A lot of those games were, were either healthy scratches or I was injured. But, I mean, there's a lot of games because of the fact that I was a fourth liner. Um, you know, the third and fourth liners on any team in the NHL could be easily replaced with uh, anybody from the American Hockey League. So it's extremely competitive. So, you know, a guy that's used sparingly in the lineup and when he does get in the lineup and say, I were to drop the gloves and I were to take a, a blow to the head and it did give me a concussion, you know, unless it was real obvious, I'm, I'm not saying nothing. Uh, I, I, I kept it to myself. I didn't tell a trainer. Um, so that was my doing uh, because I wanted to stay in the league. I didn't want, you know, the league to have any excuse or the team to have any excuse to get rid of me. Um, because, like I said, there's, there's guys, you know, chomping at the bit to, to take your spot in the lineup. And if you are known as a, a kid that is prone to concussions and you're a small guy in the NHL and you're an enforcer on top of that, it's not a smart investment in, in, in any team to invest in a guy like that. Yeah, and that's, again, that, that is just some of the eye-opening things that I've learned um, in looking into this is, there are just so many so many things that go on behind the scenes that a lot of fans don't really see on the surface that uh, the enforcers have to deal with. And I think that's just another piece of it. Uh, I really wish the really wish the league and the teams would would do better to take care of their players and uh, especially even after they are done with their playing days instead of just kind of spitting them out and washing their hands of them. I, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty hypocritical. Well, there's, you know, again, they're, they're businessmen, right? So they they have nothing to gain by um, uh, dealing with the players once they're, they're done in the league, uh, but there should be more of a responsibility and, and more of a plan in place that, uh, yeah, we know, we know what long-term effects have on abusing your body at a, at a young age, playing through injuries, uh, shots of cortisone in your shoulder so you can get through the rest of the season and then get surgery at the end of the season. Um, you know, those, when you're young, uh, you don't know the effects. You don't really have the effects until, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. So, I mean, it certainly would be nice. And, and you know, people will use the excuse, well, you know, you make enough money, you should plan for the future. And, and, and yeah, I, I agree with that. But when you're when you're throwing millions of dollars when you're 20, 21 years old, um, a lot of sharks come out too. There's a, there's a lot of people that end up uh, losing money for whatever reason, whether they're you know just bad investments or bad advice. But I think there should be some sort of standard policy with the league where they 
you know, sure, they're dishing out all this money, but what, why can't you take some of that money that you're dishing out and, and put it towards a, a health fund for, you know, the, the, the players to use once they are done hockey, once they are retired from the game, you know, make it based on games on the roster or games played or whatever, but there should be some sort of plan in place to, to help some of these guys out that are, are injured, that um, need therapy on a regular basis to, to keep their, their muscles loose and keeping them uh, active. And um, But, uh Hopefully they're working on it. I'm sure they are. I know the league does care to a certain degree, and and they just got to get some some plan in place. I think, which they are working on, from what I understand. Yeah, is there any sort of uh, discussion about that? I mean, there's got to be discussion about that from a players' association standpoint, doesn't there? Yes, the NHLPA uh, works with the NHL, and the NHL alumni is in there as well. Uh, obviously, the NHL has the most pull, and then you got the PA that work closely with the NHL because they're they're both current. And then you know the NHL alumni, the, the former players, and and the one that's always putting pressure on the NHL PA and the NHL to to beef up the health program for the retired players. And speaking of retirement, uh, you have stepped into the world of selling real estate uh, after your playing career wrapped up. Uh, how's that going for you? Good, good. Um, I retired uh, uh, January 2007, and then uh, my wife and I um, got our light word of selling real estate by uh, that summer, by August 2007. So I haven't looked back since. Still selling real estate, still active in the market, and uh, it's a little easier on the body. Good deal. Do you uh, do you still have any involvement in the game? I know uh, one thing about hockey guys, they seem to be very much in tune with, with giving back to the game. Yeah, no, um, I always have a passion for the game. Um, I Right now I just coach my kids, uh, Adam team. Um, I coached a junior C team for a year locally here and, and – um, just helped out with run some practices for some other teams in uh, other towns. Um, do some work with the NHL alumni, some charity work with them. Going to Pittsburgh uh, next weekend or a couple weeks from now to to uh, run a hockey camp there for a week. And yeah, so I stay pretty involved. I I love the game. I think it's a great game. Um, uh, it's it's you know as a kid growing up, you know uh, when I went to that arena, I forgot about anything else going on outside of that arena, and it was just. Uh, I was always fortunate to have a good coaching and a good group of guys and and parents as well because really they are your family for that whole hockey season. You're seeing them three or four times a week and and uh, you, you can learn a lot of uh, uh, attributes uh, from just playing the game. Not even getting to the professional level, but you know the the importance of teamwork and being a good teammate and and a lot of those trans uh, a lot of those skills are transferable into the business world. So I think for any kid that has an opportunity to, to play hockey, it, it, it's it'd be great for them. Yep, agree. I've got. Uh, I've got with, the, with the main important ingredient having fun, though, Lonnie. So some of these, yeah. uh, you know, some some parents put a little too much pressure on their kids. I think, and, and I think they just drop them off and just make sure they have fun and, and let the coaches uh, coach. Yep, absolutely. And I've got uh, I've got a peewee, a squirt, and a mite uh, all playing uh, in my house right now, and uh, they're still young enough where the game is still fun. So. We're uh, we're gonna enjoy that uh, as long as we can. Yeah, that's what it's all about. If it's not fun, then uh, why do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Ryan. Uh, really, really interesting and I think topical conversation. Um, really appreciate your time and uh, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. You bet. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.